Well, good morning. We're wrapping up our series entitled Life Hacks. And one of the things that we're talking about is that it's a, there is no quick way to develop the inner life and the inner relationship with Jesus Christ that you want. That it is a long obedience in the same direction. It takes time. And, and uh, so this morning, as we continue this idea of Life Hacks, we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 37 through 50, which is a lot of stuff, which is the life of Joseph. So my hope is, is that as you think about this passage, you think about the story, is that you're reminded of the seasons that we've talked about over the last few weeks, that there are seasons of our life and of our spiritual life. There's spring, there's summer, there's fall, there's winter. And there's this thing in winter called a blizzard. And if you've ever experienced a blizzard, it changes. You cannot see, you lose your perception, and you can literally feel lost. And so this idea of winter in our spiritual life does the same thing for us as well, is that you can be going along and winter is coming and you think you've all got it figured out and all of a sudden a blizzard comes and just kind of wipes out your sight and your perception and you're just kind of stuck. And so this morning I want us to think about the idea of a winter in our life. And we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 37 through following. And uh, don't judge me, but one of my favorite books growing up, the series actually, was Little House on the Prairie. Now, I don't know if you like that or not. We didn't have TV, I guess. I don't know what was going on. But I read it. I enjoyed it. I love history. And one of the things that I, in reading that, was reminded of was the fact that Paul, whenever winter came, they always prepared themselves for a blizzard. And the way that they prepared themselves for a blizzard was they would tie a rope to the house, and that rope would also go to the barn, because you're going to have to still continue to do work even during winter and even during a blizzard. And in those days, they didn't have these wonderful guys like we and gals like we have now that are meteorologists that know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow in the weather. They just kind of went, they just happened. They knew it was winter and a blizzard might possibly come. And so they have a rope and it's prepared and they're ready to go. And so when blizzards would happen, Paul would grab the rope from the front porch and would walk out, do his chores and come back in. And they knew that he would be saved. Why did they do this? Because there are story upon story upon story of people who weren't prepared for the blizzard but still had to go do the work that they needed to do and took the chance of going to the barn and coming back and never making it back. They would literally fall short of the house. They would even fall short of the barn because they became disarrayed. They lost their senses. The blizzard was such that they could not do the things that they were necessary for them to do. And so they always, those that were prepared, knew in winter to put a rope between the house and the barn because winter and a blizzard is coming. So for us in our spiritual life, there's going to be moments where blizzards are coming. What I want you to grasp is this, is that God the Father, through Jesus Christ, has attached a rope to you. That whenever you go out in winter, whenever you go out in a blizzard, he has tied a rope around your waist and you can never leave him. You can never walk away. You may want to get off path. You want want to stray. You may think, hey, I'm going to go this direction. But God the Father, through Jesus Christ and us saying yes to what he did on the cross, attaches a rope to us, and that is a covenant rope. He will never relinquish that relationship from us. And so as you're going out and doing the work that you're doing in life and going about life, there may be moments where you're distracted by winter, but you can always get back home. God the Father is always on the porch ready for you to come home. So think about this. There's going to be moments in life where winter and blizzards come, and sometimes those blizzards are because of our, our decisions, the things that we do. There's natural consequences because of that. Then there's also those things that they're consequences of just life. There's 
things that other people decide and do that bring stuff on us, and we just got to deal with it. And so that is the story of Joseph. Joseph is someone who was a young man. He was one of the younger two brothers of a guy named Jacob. And Jacob, actually his name was changed to Israel. Now Jacob, Israel, had 12 sons, and two of his sons were Joseph and Benjamin. And so Joseph and Benjamin were the favorite two sons of Jacob. Now imagine this. This is the scene. You've got brothers and all this, and ten of the brothers are just regular. They have to get up every morning. They've got to go do the chores. They've got to go take care of the sheep. They've got to get up early. Well, Joseph and Benjamin, they could get up whenever they wanted to get up. They could go to work if they wanted to go to work. They got to wear the best clothes. They got daddy's cars, the extra cars that he had in the garage. They even got daddy's credit cards so they could go out and do and do whatever they wanted to do. And so the ten brothers that had to get up early and go do the work, they did not like the younger two brothers. And so as they grew older, this kind of grew, the, the tension in the relationship just continued to grow. And so one day, Joseph comes before his brothers and his father and says, hey, I had a dream. And in my dream, you guys are bowing down to me. That did not go over very well. Younger brother, who's already daddy's favorite anyway, comes into big brothers and says, not only am I dad's favorite, but you guys are going to bow down to me. And they're like, Mm-mm, this ain't happening. So one of those days, the other brothers were out in the fields. They were doing what they did as shepherds. They were off and away. Joseph decided, hey, I'm going to go hang out. Not work. I'm going to go hang out with my brothers. And so they see him coming from a long distance, and they begin to say, we're going to take care of this dude. We are tired of dealing with Joseph and his special coat and his dad's credit card, and he gets to take the car, and he never has consequences. We're going to give him some consequences. So as he's walking up, they begin to decide what they do, and they're there. It's lunchtime as he rolls up, and they just throw him in a well. And they say, hey, you know what? You're in this well hanging out. We're eating ham sandwiches and having chocolate milk, and we're thinking about what we're going to be doing with you. Well, along while they're having lunch, along come some travelers named some Ishmaelites. And the Ishmaelites were people that would buy people and they would sell them into others. That's how they made their profit. That's what they did. And they were on their way to Egypt. So the brothers came up with this great plan. We're going to sell Joseph, the guy in the well. We're going to sell him to these Ishmaelites so they can take him to Egypt. And we're going to take his special coat, take it back to dad, and we're going to rip it up and put blood on it and tell dad he's gone. That's not very cool. That tells you the depth of the anger, the frustration, the tension in that family relationship. And so they did that. They sold Joseph into slavery. They went back to their dad, the cohesiveness. Can you imagine the the, the relationship that they had to do to go back and no one show it on their face? Dad, Joseph is dead. And dad, obviously upset, what does he do with his younger son, Benjamin, begins to even more bring him close and never lets him go out. And the other brothers, he protects them even more from them and from any other situations. Well, in the meantime, Joseph, as those guys grow up, Joseph is stuck in Egypt. And he's bought by a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar is a captain of Pharaoh's army. So he's pretty well up. He's um, someone who has some wealth and has some relationships and stuff. And so Potiphar, in that house, Joseph, it says in the Scripture, That everything that Joseph was put in charge of by Potiphar, God blessed it. So in other words, Joseph put him in charge of this, and all of a sudden it turned into gold. And so he just kind of had the Midas touch. And so all this stuff, and the characteristic they would say is the Spirit of God was upon him. So everything that Joseph would do in Potiphar's house, the Spirit of God was on him. In other words, he had character, and that God was working and transforming him. 
So everything he would do, God would raise him up until finally he became the head man, the head steward of Potiphar's house. Because Potiphar would come and go and do all that. So imagine that Joseph was so trusted by Potiphar that he literally had his checkbook, his banking account, his credit cards, and all that stuff. He was the head of the house when Potiphar was gone. It was just like he was Potiphar. Well, one day, as Joseph is being Potiphar and being the head of the household, Potiphar's wife was in the hot tub and sees Joseph walk by. He's been mowing the yard and taking care of things. And she's like, Potiphar, you know what? Potiphar did a good job with choosing this guy. He looks good. And so she's like, Potiphar, Potiphar, Joseph, come over here. And so Joseph is like, no. And he flees the situation. And she is so in tune with this. They actually, the scene is, this is good daytime TV. Both of their clothes are ripped. Okay. And so then what happens? Potiphar shows up and he sees wife and Joseph chasing each other around the house. She's chasing him and he's like, I'm getting away, I'm getting away. And immediately she comes up with a story and Potiphar throws Joseph into jail. Well, as Joseph's in prison, again, everything that he does, God's spirit, the character of him begins to rise. And so within a few weeks, within a few months, he's actually put in charge of all the other prisoners. So prisoners come to him, and they talk to him so that he can take things to the warden, so that he's on that level. God continually moves him up. Well, while he's in prison, two important guys get thrown into prison, and they are the cupbearer and the breadmaker of Pharaoh's house. Apparently, they didn't do a good job on one dinner, and uh, so they got thrown in prison. And while they're in prison, they have dreams. Both of them, the cupbearer and the breadmaker, have dreams. And so they are asking around, who can interpret this dream? I want an interpretation. And Joseph says, your dreams have come from God, and the only way that those dreams can be interpreted is by the Spirit of God. And I have the interpretation. Would you like to know the interpretation? And they're like, of course. Yes, I want to know. And so Joseph sits down and explains to them, hey, cupbearer, your dream will, in three days, you will be back In Pharaoh's house, you will be providing wine, you'll be drinking it, and you will be in the same place of power and of influence that you were in before. Bread maker, you're going to go back and you're going to make some bread and it ain't going to work out. As a matter of fact, your bread is going to be so bad that he's going to hang you. Guess what happens? In a few days, the bread maker and the cupbearer are brought back into the Pharaoh's court and they make the wine, they make the bread, and exactly what Joseph said would happen, happened. The cupbearer was raised up, brought back to prominence. The bread maker was hung. So Joseph, one of the things that he said to those guys is, as this comes to fruition, would you please let Pharaoh know who I am? Well, you know, the cupbearer didn't want to let anybody know that he knew this was going to happen, so he just kind of let it go. It says he forgot, conveniently forgot. So he conveniently forgot the story until Pharaoh had a dream. Now, Pharaoh had asked all of his religious people, all the people that had interpreted dreams for him before, and no one could answer it. And in that moment, the cupbearer remembered and said, oh, yes, there's this guy named Joseph who's a friend of the warden, who's the lead of all the prisoners. He interpreted my dream, and exactly what he said would happen happened. You should go ask him. So Joseph is called for, and he's brought before Pharaoh's court, and he tells them this dream. And Pharaoh's dream is this. There will be seven fat cows that'll be born and they'll be grazing. And then there's seven not fat cows looking at the fat cows and going, you know what? I am so hungry. And they devour the fat cows. It's kind of a weird dream. And then he said, the other part of the dream is there are seven stalks of grain 
that are healthy grain, and then there are seven stalks of grain that are not healthy. And the unhealthy ones look at the healthy ones, and they actually devour it. And Joseph said, these two dreams are actually one and the same. And he says, this is what God is saying to you, is that the nation of Egypt will have seven years of abundance, that you will be literally be overflowing with milk and honey, and you will have an abundance. And in those seven years, you need to begin to prepare for famine, because after those seven years of abundance, there will be seven years of famine. And so Joseph then laid out a detailed plan of how they, in the seven years of abundance, could prepare themselves for the seven years of famine. And so in each village and in each town, they began to set up warehouses. And the scripture tells us that there was so much grain, there was such an overabundance during these seven years that Joseph and his people gave up counting, that they just began to throw it. They couldn't keep count of the abundance of which was happening in that season. Well, eventually, after the seven years of abundance, seven years of famine began to happen. Well, what happens when famine is that those that didn't store up and weren't prepared for famine, all of a sudden they begin to become hungry. And so not only in Egypt, but in the nations and the regions around them, they were in famine as well. And so they'd heard the story of Joseph. And because he had prepared the nation of Egypt and had prepared for everything that was going to be happening, people began to come to him as the vice pharaoh and say, hey, we want some of this food that you've got. Again, one of the interesting things of the reason that even Pharaoh put him in this position is he said to his men around him, he said, is there anyone else in the entire kingdom or in the entire space that we know that has the spirit of God like Joseph? And so here Pharaoh in this moment made him vice Pharaoh because, again, he began to see the character of Joseph begin to rise up. In the winters of his life, he was risen up, the character of who he was. And so in that moment, it made him a powerful person because of the wisdom that God gave him, but also because of the character that was developed in winters. He understood that he worshipped a God of covenant that his father Jacob, Israel, had taught him that, that his father Abraham had taught him that. And so he walked in the ways of God. We'll see that in a little bit. And that he was able to be shepherded, even in those times of darkness, through the valley of darkness, the voice of God spoke to his sheep and he understood it and he followed and he walked in those dark places because he knew that God was bringing him to a place of life, a place of rest, because of the green pastures on the other side. So here Joseph was this man that had risen up and literally the second in command of all of Egypt and everyone is coming before him. Well, guess what? Those ten brothers and the dad and everyone else in the family that had sold him into slavery are getting hungry as well. And so Jacob, Joseph's dad, tells his brothers, hey, go to Egypt. I've heard that there's a guy that you can go ask for food and he will give it to you or not. We're at that place. We need food. And so Jacob sends his sons. They go down and they appear before Joseph. And Joseph immediately recognizes them. And he sends away his people. And Joseph begins to ask some questions. And he says, hey, tell me a little bit about your family. Do you have a younger brother? And they're like, yeah, we have a younger brother. Wait, tell me about your dad. And so he begins to ask questions that probably should have piqued up their attention and their heart a little bit more. But they just didn't. Because in their mind, Joseph's gone. They don't have another brother. There's no reason that this should be an odd encounter. Well, Joseph provides food for them, and even the gifts that they had brought to give to Joseph to pay for the food, he put it back in their sacks, and he sent them on their way. The one request that he made is, I want one of your brothers to stay because I want to know that I can truly trust you. You may want food again, and I want to know that I can trust you. 
And the only way that I can know that I can trust you is if I keep one of your brothers so that you will bring the younger brother back. I want to see the younger brother to know that what you're telling me is the truth. Well, you can imagine when they went back, the brothers went back to Jacob, the dad, and said, Hey, dad, you know, this guy Joseph asked us some questions and and the vice pharaoh asked us some questions and we didn't quite understand. But the one thing, we left Simon back. And the reason we left Simon is because he wants us to bring Benjamin next time. And Jacob's like, Nope, we already know, I've already lost one son, one favorite son, I'm not going to lose the next. Well, guess what? After a little bit of time, hunger wins out. And so Reuben and some of the other brothers come to him and say, Hey, Dad, we're getting hungry. We know the time is coming. We need to go back and ask for more food. And the only way that this vice pharaoh guy will let us have food is if we bring Benjamin. And even one of the brothers said, I, If something happens to Benjamin, I will give up my own sons. So that you can claim them as his own. And so the father in that moment, Jacob relinquishes and releases his son, youngest son, Benjamin. And they go to Egypt. And again, they're there before Joseph. And Joseph, again, when those people come before, when his brothers come before him, he releases the people. And in that moment, when he sees his brother Benjamin, he breaks down and begins to weep. And it's so loud that the servants that had already been dismissed heard it and went to Pharaoh and said, something is not right. In the vice pharaoh's house. And so they begin to do some investigation. And they kind of listen in through the windows or whatever it is. And they hear and they find out that those that have just shown up are actually Joseph's brothers. And Joseph in that moment stops them. And just stops the whole encounter and just says, I am Joseph. <laughs> now can you imagine these brothers? I mean, we kind of remove ourselves from the scene, but can you imagine, here are these brothers, and they have sold Joseph into slavery, and their assumption is he is gone. Because slaves didn't live very long, so their assumption is he is gone, we're never going to see this guy. Yes, we hate it, but you know what, he was a punk, and here we are, and now he's saying, we're in, he's, saying he's him, and we're like, mm-mm. So fear and doubt arose. And guess what Joseph did? Joseph said, come here. Imagine, I don't know how close you want to get. He says, no, come here. What I want to tell you, no one else knows. And he brought him in close, and he says, there's two things I want you to know, that only I will know and only you will know and what it matters. And he says, the first thing is this, is you, my brothers, sold me into slavery. I'm like, yeah. So that's what you did to me. The other thing is, is there's something that only us brothers have in common is because our father did it to us because Abraham said it was a sign of the covenant. Come a little closer and see that you and I are brothers of the covenant through circumcision. And so in that moment, that was an intimate moment where brothers immediately broke down and said, this is Joseph. And the fear and the anxiety and of like, what is he going to do to us? And what does he do? He's the most second most powerful man in all of the world. And he could have pushed them away and said, now that you know who I am, revenge is sweet. And sold them all. He says, no, come sit at my table. Let's dine together. Let's fellowship. That in that moment of all of the the length, he'd gone from being about 13 years of age to 30 years of age, a winter that was an extremely long 
winter. And all throughout that time, everything that Joseph touched, his character and the spirit of God was on him that he continued to rise and bring him up so that he had more influence. All the things that his brother intended for harm actually turned out for good and even for their protection. The covenant rope of God extends and protects us even during the most heckish winter and blizzard that there could ever be. He's protecting us, and he wants us to come home. And the only way that we can find our way home through some of these blizzards is by the covenant rope that God has attached to us that he will never take, around, take away from us. And so here Joseph, in front of his brother, says, sit with me and dine with me. And they eat together, and he explains who he is, and they fellowship. He tells their story, and he puts more grain in their bags and puts the gifts that they brought to him. They put them in the bag, and he sends them on their way. And in the meantime, Pharaoh has heard what's happened. And he's like, I love Joseph. He's a man that the Spirit of God is upon. He's a man of character. And if this is his family and they're in need, I want them to come and to be a part of my household. And so the Pharaoh invites Joseph's father, Jacob, and all of his relatives to come and move. And he says, I want to bless them so much. Tell them just leave their things where they're at because all the things that are mine that are better than theirs are theirs. They can move in, and if they need a candlestick, they can have a candlestick. If they need to get raid the pantry, they can raid my pantry. I want Joseph's family to know that they are with me because of who Joseph is. Our question for us this morning is this, is that can people know and can people see that the Spirit of God is upon us? That the seasons of winter, that even when we walk through these, that the character of God that he's working in us and the transformation that he's working in us is evident to other people. Can people see that we once were a caterpillar and now we are a butterfly, that we do life and we care for people and we think about other people? We love other people differently because of the way that we've been loved. That we have a rope attached to us and that even during winters when it may seem like God is not there, that we've experienced the covenant love of God, that he pulls on the rope and tugs on us and says, you think that you want to go that direction. You're completely blinded. You don't understand where you're going. And the covenant love of God pulls on us and draws us back to the porch and he's there waiting for us. And he says, I have established a covenant with you. It's not just a spring covenant. It's not just a summer covenant. It's not just a fall covenant. Even a winter, it is for you in the blizzards of life that will come. And God says to us, I love you and I cherish you. And yes, just like Joseph, he responds and he says, you have harmed me and hurt me, but come sit at my table. One of the end of the story of Joseph and Jacob is really powerful. Jacob is, invites Joseph to come see him. And I imagine it's kind of, they're kind of on the little edge of a plateau and the sun's going down. And Joseph, it says, is standing on his staff. It's, it's holding him up. It's, Jacob's at the, um, at the end of his life. And he invites Joseph in and he says, Joseph, there's been seasons of life for me as your father that have been extremely difficult. But the thing that's been interesting for me is that God has always used his voice as the shepherd to speak to me as his child. And that at one point he gave my life purpose and meaning because he gave a plan for me. And he said if I would follow that plan, long obedience in the same direction, that he would always care for me and always protect me and provide for me and bless me in ways I could never understand. And he says, son, Joseph, I see the same has been true for you. 
that even though your brothers have meant something for harm, that God used it for good, even to the protection of me and your brothers. God has tied a covenant rope around us that he established through your great-grandfather Abraham and through my father Isaac and through me, and I'm seeing that carry out in you. That the covenant rope that he's attached to us has kept us strong and kept us safe in winters and in blizzards that everyone else may fall down, but because God has held us tight and has whispered to us in the midst of storms, we can hear his voice and know that he is with us. I can stand here on this hill as the sun goes down in my life and stand on this uh, staff and say that God is good. That Joseph's moment with his father Jacob, it says Jacob's last thing was a moment of worship. That as he looked back over his life, he could see the hand of God. And he said, Joseph, I see in you what Pharaoh saw in you. The Spirit of God is evident in your life for us. As people encounter us and do life with us, is it evident that the Spirit of God is moving in us and changing us and transforming us even during the winters of life? My prayer is that that's the case. Not going to be perfect, but that the Spirit of God is moving us and shaping us. A long obedience in the same direction, knowing that the covenant rope of God is attached to us and always brings us home. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the rope, the covenant rope that you've wrapped around our waist that brings us safety, that takes us to the places that we need to go, but always brings us home. The rope that tugs on us to say, hey, those are places you don't need to go, places you don't need to be. But to know that you lovingly tug on us and want us to come home. That even when we've strayed, you want us to come home and you want us to sit at the dining table with you and to sup with you. Father, we thank you that even during the winters of life, even during the blizzards of life, you are with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You're always there for us. So therefore, God, may we take the long steps of obedience in the same direction. For it's in your son's name that we pray.